Thanks for joining our uh, podcast session, episode one. So really appreciate you taking the time and having a chat, catching up with us. Great to be here. And also, I'm very honored to be the first one on the series of podcasts. <laughs> so, Brett, you, you and I, we know each other for a while. And before you started the company line and when you were VC, I always enjoy chatting with you. Part of the idea with the podcast is that it's, it's fairly casual and we want to chat about certain topics ranging from life to tech. But one of the good place to start is maybe tell the audience and certainly something we haven't talked offline either is that where you were born and what did your parents do? Yeah, totally. I think it's a good way to like share a little bit of life story and also mm -hmm. how I become who I am. So I was born in China in a little town in Zhejiang province and my so-called you know hometown is called Wenzhou. That's where my parents came from. Uh, Wenzhou is very well known for entrepreneurship and mm -hmm. for self-made business person, right? And they were the first batch to jump into the capitalism, if you would, uh, yeah. back in China when China opens up. And they were also the first one that really took commerce to a global scale in many other countries. You probably met them uh, if you're in the trade business. My father was a nuclear scientist, literally like rocket science type of stuff. Okay. And mother was a doctor. They both retired. And that brought me to a very different journey. So I, I had to left my hometown at a very young age, roughly around, it. I believe I was two years old. Since my, my father was working on a new place submarine. And I grew up in a research institution, got exposed to like advanced technologies and different mindset and exposed to very different crowd compared to the outside world. But in the meantime, we do visit my relatives back in the hometown, and they're all self-made entrepreneurs. Barely any of them were even high school grads. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a very interesting contrast when I look mm -hmm. at like the people, the world around us. I think in a way, in a research institution, I grew up in a Ivy Tower or a bubble, if you would. <laughs> but then you look outside there and you realize that the world is more diversified, realize the world being advanced and also being successful in many regards, not because of one type of person, but all kinds of different type of person, backgrounds, and also their traits. The reason and the funny story here, how my mother and father met and also married is mm -hmm. in that region of uh, Zhejiang province, there are mm -hmm. two towns, right? They're, they're from mm -hmm. two little different towns mm -hmm. and there were the only two went to college. And that's how they get, get introduced to each other and fell in love and like, get married. Um, 20, the first like 20 years of my life, everyone looked at, wow, your parents are doing really well. They got a high education. They're, they have like respectable and decided work, right? Mm -hmm. And and then 20 years later, all my relatives become a millionaire, some billionaires. And that mm -hmm. gave me also a, a very interesting contrast. So that then after that, I went to almost all the best schools in China. But also the background gave me a kind of natural born entrepreneurship in my blood. And mm -hmm. I've been always an entrepreneur. I started my first company, if you call that, not necessarily a company, a business when I was in junior high, mm -hmm. selling t-shirts and printed the graphic tees designed mm -hmm. it and trying to sell in the market failed miserably and but mm -hmm. found 
the uh, non-printed like black T-shirt actually sells really well. Made my first batch <laughs> 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 of like money, but a uh, small amount, of course. And I started mm-hmm. another company in high school, three more when I was in college. Upon graduation, joined a few companies to learn a little bit more about it. IBM, Hodak, and all that. Best employee at the time, and started my own company in China. I was in Beijing at the time doing internet security, more on the enterprise side, but get more and more excited with consumer internet, which was in the, back in the 1999, 2000, with uh, a lot of people still record that time, right? There was yeah. a high, but it was the internet uh, it burst. My passion, however, when I was doing the enterprise software with the exposure to the high tech, I just found my passion is all about customer internet. So in 2003, I came to the US, went to UC Berkeley for my MBA program, partially for the liberty reputation of Berkeley, but the other part is really just for the Silicon Valley and sue my dream in the customer internet. Ever since that, everything I do is customer. I, I know everyone has their own strengths and limitations and for me that follow my passion and then i perfect my skills well not perfect yet i'm still learning about it to improve my skill set in in the area that i'm passionate about so after that i think everything i do there's a entrepreneurial element to it i joined a, a small company at the time called tencent and the reason i joined is because I got an opportunity to define their international strategy and operation. I was the first hire outside of China and defined the strategy, hired a team, and ran the operation for four, eight years. And after that, I started a venture fund with my partner, Jin. And again, to me, it's not really a change from operator to investor, but rather a different type of startup. I went through the fundraising cycle, defined the investment you know, thesis and through the team, ran the farm one. And after that, that's a story probably is more well-known that I started Lime together with my co-founder, Toby. What an amazing story. Similarly, I was born in China as well. Wenzhou is the type of place. A lot of merchants, uh, a lot of people start their own business. Looking back, how much do you think those early experiences influence you in terms of starting your own company or working with startups in that regard? Yeah, I, I think it, it influenced me significantly. Yeah, Everyone has a different growth path. Everyone has yeah. a different way to acquire skills and thinking, right? And for me, I, I think that two significant things happened during that time. One is for a lot of audience who probably doesn't know, I'm extremely introverted. <laughs> the, so I even talking to a stranger or making any public speech, it's still not my favorite thing. Uh, mm. But yeah. when I was younger, that was extremely difficult for me. I was mm. like literally shocked and cannot speak a word uh, in those situations. But then starting doing entrepreneurship and that forced me to think, hey, my business died, right? If I don't go out and really make the hustle or trying to make things happen, it will just not happen and uh, my business will be shut down. Even though I don't really know what it means at the time, but still that I wanted to make work, I committed, right? So I pushed myself to the limit and that becomes a trait. Along everything I do ever since then, I think that's a good trade to be had given the experience. The significance, I think, to a lot of introverted folks that do understand it or some mm-hmm. other limitations, right? But if you're not, right, you're born to be 
extroverted, yeah, I think you probably it's hard for you to understand it. To overcome a natural uh, habit is very difficult. But I'm glad I didn't. I still not, you know, extroverted. I'm still very introverted. But I can properly communicate and handle with the outside world. And the second part, I think, is just by observing from my relatives and also the, the communities and in the, the world that mm-hmm. give me very different perspectives to understand the world as a whole instead of like a stereotype or living in a bubble, which I did uh, yeah. in many ways. But that gave me a very fresh perspective to respect the grid, to respect the uh, innovations coming from all different aspects and fronts and to respect the entrepreneurship, which is not easy to be summarizing a short sentence right? and that mm-hmm. leads to not only myself being become an entrepreneur but also carry that into investment and also i do a lot of free mentorings and advisings to help younger entrepreneurs to grow and to, to be successful at least to explore their their full potential and i truly enjoy it yeah in, in that regard you and i kind of share a similar trait i'm an introvert as well it took me uh, some pretty steep learning curve to really kind of take a lot of meetings and talk to people. But one thing, like you said, meeting different people and getting a diverse perspective of things, that's how you push yourself out of comfort zone and that's how you grow. But kind of taking the timeline forward a little bit. So you got into Berkeley and then you joined Tencent in the very early days and then you start a venture fund and then you start a company line. What was the thinking or the challenge when you start company line? Like what was the biggest challenge when you started and, and scale the company? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think the challenge or, or in other words, it translates into priorities uh, mm-hmm. for the founders, for the CEO of the company. The, uh, it evolves over time. Right. At, at the very beginning, they, uh, it's really the strategy. And do we have enough convictions that what we're doing are meaningful, impactful, and likely to be a sustainable business? And Toby and I spent, to solve that, we spent roughly about six months to really do a deep dive research um, and try to drive conclusions on every single front that matters, right? Regulatory issues, business model issues, hardware operating model and everything. And that gave us enough comfort. And very soon then that turns into the initial resource and the resource meaning funding and, and the initial team. And that was the focus at the time. We, we were laser focusing on getting hardware ready, which is fundamental of the business. And the yeah. second thing that goes into uh, the fundraising, we're lucky enough, you know, interest in hardware backed us. And beyond that, I think they, they are one of the really the best fund out there. In addition to capital, gave us a lot of guidance and help on regulatory issues, connections, and on introductions to related stakeholders and recruiting as well. So we're very lucky in that regard. And the third thing that goes to recruiting, the initial team, as some were saying, right, the initial team that joins you are, are the, called the three Fs, right? They're friends and their families, and some of them are full. <laughs> the, yeah. the, so we got lucky on all fronts. And when I say full, it doesn't mean they're not smart or they're not sharp. It just, they have their belief and the belief in other world, in other people's is maybe they're full, but they're not, right? They have their mm-hmm. belief, they have their passion, and they join the company 
for the leadership, but sometimes also for the vision and for the mission of the company. So we got also fairly lucky on that. And after that, then it really becomes a game of scaling. The blitz scaling that we did, I think, was quite impressive. The team did a really good job on that. And my biggest challenge, biggest role at the time really is recruiting. So finding the right people to scale the business and also up, up the bar, the quality of the mm-hmm. front does requires bigger calibers. So we were constantly in a race for raising the bar on our talents and also organizing them together to, to drive towards the same goal. And that was the biggest challenge. I, I don't think there's an end to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always still yeah. keep on to be one of the biggest challenges for the company. Yeah, either you're in venture or in startup, you have to back people either through the form of hiring them into your team or through the format of writing a check into uh, super early stage companies. I think there is a similar dynamic in that at seed and series A investment, uh, those are the crazy ones. They have a mission and they want to tag along with that mission. So I guess the question that I have for you, especially goes through early stage when you get friends and family to join the team, they are more drawn by the mission to when you scale to hundreds and thousands of people where they might just tag along because they have seen the news, they have to read the tagline about this company, maybe hoping for a quick flip. I guess from your experience, have you seen things like that? And how do you navigate through? And sometimes you have to do those hires because you have to grow and you have to grow the headcount as well. So how do you see that potential issue? Yeah, I think that's a big issue. The, I, I have a simple way to categorize people joining the company. Uh, mm. It's a, you know, overly simplified, but it should be a very easy framework to use. Right? Mm. There are a group of people join the company because they want to make the company great. Mm. And another group of the com- pe- people join the company because the company is great. And they're very you know, different from each other. And all you want is really the first group, not the latter. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's hard to tell at the beginning. That's mm-hmm. one of the fundamental flaws in terms of like recruiting and interviews. Resumes mm-hmm. and even interviews doesn't really tell a person's capability first, right? And the second, it doesn't really tell their intention. We pay a lot more uh, to the attention and the way we can distinguish that we look at actually instead of what they say is the actions decision makings and all that for the best of the company or is or the team or is that just really for personal interest and it's fairly easy to find out given a little bit time one thing however that i, I if we it's a one experience to, to be acquired. It's really difficult to say, hey, read a book and you can figure it out, right? Okay. But I think it's one lesson we learned. I would emphasize more on the right intention over capability. More than often, when companies start to scale, it's much easier to look at resumes. Hey, let's just screen the folks by certain school yeah yeah, sorry capability right experience been there done that but why you think i would have rather put more emphasis on why they're even here i said capability can be acquired can be learned however intention and personality is difficult so the wrong people with more capability will do more damage yeah that's the short answer 
yeah, the the famous no asshole rule. Yeah, so the exactly. closer they need to be right. So, and and of course, I do believe people change. I do believe I always, I guess, by definition, most of entrepreneurs are optimists. Mm-hmm. I do believe people change. I do be, believe, given opportunities and given chance, mm-hmm. the not all, but many people will tend to to turn into positive. Uh, mm-hmm in terms of like being a person in attitude. So I tended to give people more opportunities. Some will do, some doesn't. Right? And, and in that regard, a strong company culture really helps. We shouldn't judge people by who they were at the time. We should look at the people at who they are and how are they developing into and give the uh, opportunities. And in that regard, as a culture really, really helps mm. if it's the right culture. Yeah, I think there is thousands of books out there about building company culture or startup culture. And to a lot of degree, uh, a company, especially a startup, their culture is very much defined by the founders. It's almost like extension of you. And as the company grow to the certain scale, certain size, it's, it's just mechanically hard to keep that same thing when you have only 10 people in the same office. Is there any practical advice you would do or you wish you have done or you were doing to enhance the company culture when the company is at certain certain scale? I can share some of the general thinkings. And one mm-hmm. of the books really helped me was from Ben Horowitz. It's called What Do You Do is Who You Are, which is talking about culture. Culture is yep. not a set of rules on the wall. It's not like the yoga or perks. Uh, yeah, they all that stuff, right? Really is what it do signifies or signals what a culture you wanted to build. And in practice, I think there, there are simple things. First of all, there's no right culture or wrong culture. There's a, a proper culture that fits the company. There are missions, there are visions, there, there are business objectives. There, it, there should be a set of culture that fits the company rather than say, hey, this works for other companies and works for me too. It doesn't. And the second, the culture evolves, right? There's no static in terms of culture. I think it's a living organism and always adjusted to make it fit will be very critical. And then there's one, if we don't have enough time to go through all the mm-hmm. th- uh, learnings and reflections I have, but I think the one thing I could have done better and hopefully will help some other entrepreneurs is to make the rules and the boundaries and principles outly clear. And mm-hmm. this is one thing, and also, you know, execute it, right? They are executed, mm-hmm. not just put it on the wall. Um, this is one thing I wish I could have done better to make it more clear. There are things I did, I, I believe we did a good job. And it was inheritably part of the, the DNA of the line team, like not, not some optimal results. In conjunction to what we talk about, the cultural and the type of talents that you want to attract, and you'd also do investment as well. Before starting Lime, you're doing venture investment from the fund. And I know that you still do angel investments. I don't know at what capacity nowadays, but you still do investment on the side. So maybe talk to us about how do you identify founders that you would love to work with? What type of, given so many years of experience working with great founders, what are the top quality you're looking for when you think about investing or partner with a, a certain type of founders? Yeah, I think this is a really broad uh, topic. And then I think, again, that the, I think there, are, there are multiple winning formulas. Everyone has different style, different angles to look at. 
investment and different way even to measure the success, right? And to me, investment, uh, the reason I started Venture Fund and also continue doing angel investment is my way to give back to the, to the entrepreneurial community, mm-hmm. to support founders and also come with edit. If my time allows, I will do a, a lot of, you know, advices and mentoring. And this is some of the the, the founders or CEOs that said they are probably one of the most helpful <laughs> investors yeah. they have okay. in that regard because I'm willing yeah. to come here time and willing to come here the resource and be honest with them in all the reasons for the best of them being successful and then the company. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the, the way I look at things. And with that in mind, what I'm always looking for are a really the passion, the passion about entrepreneurship, the passion mm-hmm. about making an impact, passion about what they do. And this is fairly clear, right? If someone come in and tell me, say, hey, why you want to do this? And the reason is, oh, I think the sector is hot. Mm-hmm. I just discounted. I, I think that's more not necessarily the best way that's to look true. at what they should be spending their time on. Time mm-hmm. is the most equitable resource, right? Commodity in the world. It's the same to everyone. If someone come in again, similar to what we mentioned in the talent discussion, if they come in just because it's hot or it could be an easy flip, I don't think that will enable them to become a great entrepreneur. So people matters a ton and we more than often we've seen it, heard it. A company have some hypothesis, but they pivot. Right? And what enabled them to really being obsessed with customer demand and really obsessed with product and also have the guts to do the pivot is their passion and belief, is their grit to really go mm-hmm. through all that and focusing on the impact itself instead of like too much on the personal gains and all that stuff. So that's what I'm really looking for. Again, the pivot is not like, say you have to pivot in order to be successful, right? But then I think that's a tactic to find the right path and the right product market fit and making the biggest impact. And the second thing, I mm-hmm. tended to like the people think bigger. Mm-hmm. I think with the same amount of time, someone could try to make a big impact or could live a comfortable life, right? Drink a beer, watch a game. They choose to be an entrepreneur it's better that they can shoot a little higher. That I estimate ton, right? When it comes to entrepreneurship, when it comes to trying to address a big issue instead of trying to make a living. I think that is the differentiation between a great entrepreneur or just like a living. So I think that matters a ton. And the third thing, I, I think the which I actually put a lot of more emphasis on is integrity. You know, it might sound a little bit odd, right? That someone will say, hey, why you care, right? If someone can kill, I actually, you know, I have a little bit ideal thinking there. If I wanted mm-hmm. to support someone with my capital, with my time, resources, mm-hmm. I want that company, the founder to grow, will be a good person. The company actually carries the, mm-hmm. the, the good values and, and spread it and also make positive impacts. So those yeah. are the things that has to be reflected in the integrity of the founder, which I pay a lot more attention to. And then the rest of that, I think, is just gets more tactical. To a point about time, everybody has limited amount of time and is the most important resource that we all have. And the, the way to get things done is just as important as what type of things that you're getting done. The other thing I would say relating to my own 
own background a little bit. I was born in China as an immigrant to the U.S. You kind of, you do tend to have different thinking. One of the viewpoint that we have um, is about backing immigrant founders as super ambitious because we come from nothing and we might as well just go big and go after the, the, the audacious goal. And uh, those are the founders who started in the U.S., either they are first generation or second generation. And I think there is this always chip on the shoulder type of mentality that you see things differently and you want, want to prove it to the world. If we look at our portfolio in terms of uh, my personal investments and also Leonis Capital, unconsciously, we back roughly 60 to almost 80% of founders, either they're first generation or second generation, they're immigrants. I think there is some you know, deeper reason behind it. So anyway, so I would just you know, yeah. want to comment on what you were saying and share a little bit about my, my viewpoint. Yeah, totally. I, I think the, interesting enough, I was actually helping a friend's kid to do an interview on immigrants, right? The kid was is only seven years old. They're, all of the project they're working on is to interview immigrants. What are the differences? What challenges they have? Why they came here? How their traits looks like? Yeah. And we talked about a bunch of things. And one of the things was, what, what are the things that immigrants have in common, right? Hmm. And I gave him this thing, all right? I said, Every immigrant, they, they, they came here with one thing absolutely in common, is courage. Jump out of the comfort zone is always difficult, right? There are two, you know, roughly two types of immigrants. Some push it here, right? They, they have some issues with their own countries or all that stuff, but it's rare in the modern society. Many of the immigrants came here because they choose to. And that is a very big courage to give up your comfort zone, to leave the country you be, to go to a very foreign place. You know nobody there, your language is broken, you don't know the culture, you have no zero network. Right? And that I think itself is already very distinguished in terms of like when it comes to immigrants. And then it goes to the, my first point when I evaluated entrepreneurs. Right? Entrepreneurs are a rare Species, if you would. Right? I'm not saying that because they're glorifying entrepreneurs or not. To me, that word is diversified. They have need to find their own mountain to climb. And I have respect for all of them. Like musicians, right? They will be practicing ten, you know, thousands, millions of hours in order to just get one to write. I have a lot of respect for that. And entrepreneurs is no different, right? They are self-motivated and driven to do something, make some impacts. Um, and that is not a suitable thing for everyone. It takes a lot of different aspects into consideration. So I think they are unique in many ways. And regardless, it's either immigrants or just uh, the, the native folks here, regardless, it's like whatever background, it's just rare. Yeah. It's fairly rare. <laughs> and yeah. In that regard, I, I think it, it is finding good entrepreneurs yes, to f- like finding unicorn to begin with. On top of that, however, I think immigrants at least that give you one thing that they have courage. You know, mm-hmm. they are hustlers to go through yeah. the whatever the challenge, right? Even they don't have much limitation, it's still a lot of hustle to go through in order to to get through the processes, to get accepted, to like move the entire life and family and, and settle down in an entire new place, remake friends and remake networks and all that stuff. Even mm-hmm. for folks without that courage and, and uh, you know, capability to do that, it, even you think about it, it, already your brain will be exploded. 
Like yeah. we heard people complaining that move a apartment from here to there it was it feels like already in the world. But then you think about that that kind of things. Isn't that does speak to some of the you know the traits? Yeah. Yeah. It's all about risk taking. It's all about backing the underdogs. And one thing that's not often being talked about in the media is we often seeing the fundraising news. We often seeing a few celebrity VCs or celebrity entrepreneurs. They got the spotlight, but underneath there were a lot of hustling by all the founders, by all the entrepreneurs to make things happen. So one thing I feel a、uh, top quality, you know, founders or VCs is their ability to empathize, to connect with the other side. So an entrepreneur's case could be. Empathize with their customers and therefore build a product that meet the the best interest of the end users and build the best and beautiful product. VC side, I know that you've been really helpful to the founders that you work with, and because yourself went through founding company, starting company, and scale company, and I think that part and that experience kind of give you a good amount of ability to connect with founders that no other people could. But the other thing I want to ask you: so when you, you know, either start a venture fund or build your own company, usage board of company as well, how do you describe the best board member? What would you think comprises of someone is being helpful and and a good board member to a company? Yeah, I think the good board member should have a lot of characteristic and also brings a lot of value to the company. And that again, that there absolutely no like a formula you can plug in. It depends on again the company priority change, the the status of the company is different. So it depends on different stages or that、uh, you know it, it, it evolves over time. But I think fundamentally, there are a few things that absolutely has to be there to be a good board member. Number one is to know the company. What often I think the the board member coming to the board meetings has a lot of、uh, wisdom and also experiences, but not understanding the company enough. Though we can talk about a vision for the next ten years, but what matters this quarter might be just one sales deal. Maybe what matters is can we recruit the replacement of the head of engineer? Yeah, well, what it may matter is just like, hey, should we just do a layoff in order to survive the winter? And those are the things I think. Without deep understanding of the company, then the board member cannot really contribute, right? Making the right recommendations, making the tough decisions, or providing enough and also relevant experience or or connections. So I think that's the number one, first and foremost things, and is to understand the company, including its product, its business, its founders, the team. If the board member will not be able to. Be as familiar as the founder or the CEO of the company, but at least for the fundamental things and the core things should be there.、Uh, the second part is being object、mm-hmm. founders and including myself. Right, we we sometimes are too obsessed <laughs> with our own company, with、yeah. the vision, and being also very optimistic. So I think the board member carries the duty and also should have a, a set of clear eyes to look at things very objective or objectively. And the, the best advice to to the founder and the CEOs are not always nice words. Sometimes the、mm. truth hurts, but、mm. that is for the best.、Mm. Some take it well, some doesn't. But I think as board member, being objective and also being honest is very important. And the third thing that I would say, 
help when it's needed. Do not distract when it's not necessary. And that is important as well. There's a dis- differentiation here, right? As a board member, the loyalty and also fiduciary duty goes to the company, not even to the founder or CEOs, but to the company. Mm-hmm. So wanted to keep as a relationship with founder and CEO, oh, that's fine. I think that's a necessary part of it. But when it, there's conflict, that the, the, the duty goes to the company. Mm-hmm. And the second part, more than often, that I think board member carried carries two hats, right? You mm-hmm. put on the, yeah. the board of director hat and then you put on the investor hat. And those mm-hmm. two things should not be confused and mixed together. Mm-hmm. There are decisions may or may not be the best for the investor, but as board member, it has to be the best. For- I've seen very experienced board members, you know, come in, really did a good job on that and mm-hmm. be a really awesome board member but also be responsible for the fund. But there's a very distinguished line between the two. And when a company needs help, a resource for board members should go beyond just putting some wisdom. (laughs) And really help depends on the stage, especially at the early stage, even the simple things. That's what I also experienced, right? Simple things, one quick intro or one candidate or one thing even helped them to draft a PR. I'm not suggesting board members to yeah. do that, but just mm-hmm. using an example, right? A, 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 a drafting a, a PR kind of statement is a, is a big help to the founders because mm-hmm. founders are not equipped and not experienced with all the things, but they are very mm-hmm. critically important at the time. Um, so I think those are a few things I, I think will help a board member to become a really good one. Of course, there are many other things, right? Let me just push on that a little bit because I think you speak from experience. That's really practical. So what would be the boundary? What would be the limits where a board member kind of get too much into the company's operation that become distraction to the founders? And what would be the best way to influence a founder without sounding of either too optimistic or too negative because you want somewhere in between that's the truth but you don't want someone always kind of telling you the bad things or giving you negative feedback nothing making him happy so where does that line sit in those scenarios yeah i said the first on the first one right the uh, the board mm-hmm. member there 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 should be a, a i want to say firewall should be mm-hmm. a line between operation and also uh, company strategic decision making. Mm-hmm. If a board member gets too much into the daily operations and, and get around or get above the, the management team, I think that's not good. It will disrupt not only the operations, but also will inject interest in mm-hmm. the entire team. Right? The team will say, wow, what does that mean? Right? The, or some of the nitty-gritties the board member should, should be get, get involved with. And mm-hmm. on the... On, on that note, if a board member and the end of the management team, I'll generalize as a management mm-hmm. team is a board member, right? Are, are taking too much time. To, I think at the beginning, the understanding of the business is necessary. But mm-hmm. after that, if it's taking too much time of the management team to mm-hmm. do what they're supposed to do and rather than focus on either individual board members need or the or help the board member just keep on educating, I, mm-hmm. you know, versus just like the board members learning by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, time is good management on that, right? Mm-hmm. Taking necessary times or additional unnecessary times. I think mm-hmm. that matters a ton as well. And when where 
the line draws, I think objective is the word I would use. If we're speaking based on numbers and truth and very objectively yeah. discussing the topic, then they should avoid being too negative or too positive mm. uh, in, in many cases. Right? The, it's there's no clear lines. It's the information in many many of the occasions will be limited. Mm-hmm. So, the object objective analysis and logic should be always there. If mm-hmm. the, that's the best educated guess, at least everyone should be on the same page. If there mm-hmm. there there are disagreements, it should be based on the numbers, the truths, the data, the logic. Instead of like I think or versus you think, so I think that would take away the some of the personal opinion part of it, mm. which is critical. And mm. board members should not assume that they know the business better than others. I don't mm. think so. I think the founder or CEO knows the business the best. Board member does bring unique value perspective from a broader perspective. You know, mm. look at the broader markets and comps and competition all that stuff and that should be presented in a, a very objective other than that i think the rest of that will be more communication skills i won't get into that i'm not an expert in that and honestly speaking i'm pretty bad at it <laughs> so the, uh, that's someone else yeah. probably can give better advices got it so if i have to summarize it it's really coming from the place that someone do care about the company if you truly care about the company and then it's not about your ego it's not about something that's that's selfish interest to the fund but everybody is on the same team and working for the same goal that is the best interest of the company yep yeah well this has been pretty fun chat and uh, we kind of dig very deep in certain areas and we want to end it with something maybe a little bit lighter (laughs) Uh, (laughs) you read a lot of books and there are certain books kind of influence our thinking and influence our view of the world what was the one book that you had the most impression of and that had the most influence on you that you can recommend to the readers? On the business side, the hard thing about hard things uh, mm. make, make a lot of a difference for me. There are many books made big influence on me for sure, right? There are many good management, management books, startup books and or whatnot. I benefit tremendously from all of them. But I in particular appreciate the hard thing about hard things is for two reasons. First, the band really trying to communicate truth instead of like a more postmodern and everyone trying to paint a good picture, right? And yep. then there are many things in particularly highly unpredictable technology startup world. When you look back, everything makes sense, but that's not the case. It's not the when many companies started say, hey, this is absolutely good analysis. Here's the network effect. Here's the whatever we are pursuing. Right? It's a step by step. We trend through mud and figure out a path. And when you look, so I think the looking back on history to come up, then come up with a glorifying nice theory is not going to be helpful for the startup world or entrepreneurs. In particular, most of the entrepreneurs that the None of us were born with the skills. We have to learn, right? We have to learn uh, if it's set on the wrong framework, that will be helpful. And it, the, so I think the appreciate that Ben first speak a lot of the truth and, and injected the right way of thinking and the, the, also some of the encouragement. And the second part is just very practical. What I found that I wish the book was published years 
you know, earlier so I can benefit more. Right? And many things they mentioned, he mentioned in the book is very ap- applicable and very practical. You can literally take the formula and use it. And it's co- many of them are common challenges for a tech startup. So that's the reason I mentioned that book. In terms of the worldview, I, interesting enough, I got, I think I got influenced very much by a series of books around evolution, evolution mm. theory. And, mm. and it's a, a set of books, right? One of them called uh, Self, Self Gene, Selfish Gene. Yeah. And I love that book very much. Not, not just say, hey, my, now I realize my gene is selfish. No, it's That's not it. entirely not about it. It's the way that he approached it and how the world, on how to interpret how the world operates. So that mm-hmm. helped me to shape the, my view in terms of the world and how things evolve and settles and we evolve again and how things interact with each other. And on the personal side, there's a book called Untethersal. I, you know, vaguely kind of have that feeling of like it's being doing meditations and being with myself, but I vaguely had some ideas that at the end of the day, we are the passengers of our life where we go through this journey, we experience it. Um, at the end of the day, we settle with ourselves, right? And there's no th- something called the, the, the goal of life. We all end up in tombs. We all end up like the same destiny, but really it's experience and really it's the journey that matters. But how we settle with ourselves matters a ton. And, and that book clarified that, you know, that big thinking I have, right? Is how we deal with our inner sort of like thinkings and peace and then cope that with how we interact with the other world. But I guess that matters to some matters, not necessarily to everyone, uh, but that does have a big influence on me. Those are great suggestions. The Hard Thing About Hard Thing is an awesome book. We'll include it in the link. I might have to reread it again. The second books, Evolution, I, I love it. They have a huge impact in, on me as well. The third book, I would definitely check it out and we'll include that book in the links. This is a separate topic we might have to chat about some other time. The meditation, the mental health, doing the job that we do. But thank you so much, Brad, for joining us for the catch-up and the chat today. My pleasure.